I'm learning more about myself every day, lad. Thank you for that <laughs> kind introduction. One, one neat thing about um, ministry over the years is that I've been able to be with you for 10 years, 10 of those years, and uh, you are a people that have truly blessed my wife, Matthew, certainly my son, Howard, my grandkids. Uh, I miss my grandkids being up here with some of the worship leaders, uh, but they're doing great wherever they are uh, down in South Carolina. But as I've been with you all these years, you've been a blessing in the sense that when I come, to those of you that I know especially, when I come into your presence, when you come into my presence, there usually comes with you a smile. You're not walking around, creeping around, turning around from me, but it's often an embrace. It's, it's a time of hey, we know each other. It's good to see you again. And when we think of these Beatitudes that we're going to uh, kind of focus back, back in on today, the Beatitude that, that says, blessed are the merciful, those people that are truly blessed and to be a blessing are those who know the mercy of God. And to be blessed by God is to really essentially have God smile upon you. The Lord is smiling towards you because he loves you. You're his own. To be cursed is to have his back going the other way, and, and you don't want that. Uh, no one would want that for anyone, and that's why we reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because in Christ, as we bring the gospel to those that are in the kingdom of darkness, the, the smile of God can come upon those that are being blessed by coming to him in faith. So as we take the text this morning, from Matthew chapter 5. We're going to back up just a little bit into the fourth chapter of Matthew and look at what Jesus does after he is baptized and after he's tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. And I think in the larger context of the Beatitudes, which really becomes one of his uh, primary and first sermons, uh, he says these things because of where he's been before he preaches. So let's look at Matthew in chapter 4, and look at verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from, from beyond Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and here are the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor the broken in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I've appreciated the, the men that have been preaching through the Beatitudes uh, up to this point, and the comment has been seen and made that the Beatitudes are sort of like a, a, a gold chain. 
Uh, each beatitude is connected to the other. And the first four beatitudes, and uh, I would let you read this later, of course, but in, in my insert, I comment a little bit more thoroughly on how these beatitudes interconnect. When you look at the first four beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who see that they're spiritually bankrupt. They're, they're truly broken, and because of their spiritual bankruptcy, they come to the place where they mourn for their sin, they're broken, but they are comforted by Christ in their brokenness. And out of that, they become meek, not weak, but they become people who yield to the power of the Lord and his Holy Spirit, and they can do all things now through Christ who strengthens them. Only meek, meek people can do that. But then the meek go on to be hungry. That Dan speaked on so clearly last. They're hungry for the word of God. They thirst after righteousness. It's not just, hmm, I think I'll have a little bite of this and a little bite of that. But they're, they're driven toward this, this hunger because they love the Lord and they, they want to be satisfied by him and him alone. And then, because of these four Beatitudes that are already operative in their life by faith, these graces, as they operate, begin to send the saint forward into this ministry, this compassionate ministry. So, merciful people just don't drop out of the sky, so to speak, but they are already being affected by the, the first four of the Beatitudes. So they're not just Beatitudes, but be about my Father's business. And what is his business? First of all, mercy. You're going to be people of mercy. Now, this word mercy, maybe you've caught on to that word from maybe the Karate Kid. There's a, there's a play up on mercy in that movie. Uh, maybe you've played mercy as a game in college. Uh, when I was a freshman, uh, if you wanted to challenge someone to the game of mercy, you would see who had the strongest wrists, and you had to sort of stand in one place. You couldn't move your feet. Usually there are a bunch of guys watching the game go on, and you grabbed each other's hands about shoulder level, and whoever could bring your opponent's hands around and bring them up, they had to say mercy. That was sort of a tap-out game, one of the first tap-out experiences I had. But that's not really biblical mercy. I don't have to say much more about that. That's not how we go about doing mercy, by making somebody uh, hurt. Uh, that was one college. I went to another college. This was Moody Bible Institute, and I, I was on the third floor of the dormitory, and I heard some screaming downstairs, and I didn't know what that was all about, but it wasn't, wasn't the kind of screaming that sounded real good. And it interrupted my studies, and uh, wanting to be a, a good Bible student, I suppose, I, I, I just wanted to go downstairs and tell the guys, hey, whatever's going on, please, some of us need to study. So I went down to the second floor, and here's this fellow that's laid out on a table, and there's possibly eight or nine guys, ten guys, holding him down, and they're spanking his tummy with a hairbrush. And I knew why he was yelling, because they're just being mean Bible students at that point. They're not showing mercy. 
and I don't know what happened. I jumped off the stairs into the middle of it all, and I just started slapping anybody I could. <laughs> that was merciful, wasn't it? Just slapping them all over the place, and, to, and then I had to preach. You know, thou shalt not. And I went on, and I don't know exactly what I said, but I said something that uh, was profound, like, knock it off. And uh, on, they, on they went. Several years later, I'm married, and Wendy and I go under the Moody Arch, and we're walking around just seeing our old, old school and friends, maybe. And there's this fellow that's, he has a blazer on, and he's walking across the courtyard, and he sees me, and he calls me. And my name used to be Willie in those days. I'm, I'm David William. Hey, Willie! And I'm, I'm looking at this guy that's walking across the, 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 the uh, courtyard there, and he said, you remember me? And I said, no, who, who are you? Well, remember I was the guy that was laying down getting that uh, pink ballet and all that? And I said, that was you? What are you doing here? And he said, I'm the dean of men. And so the Lord had sort of channeled his life into the fuller ministry of the Bible Institute. Well, we're, we're usually looking at mercy that's something a little bit more kinder and compassionate as we see some of the biblical challenges to be merciful. And let me, first of all, do what we've done in a number of these sermons on the Beatitudes, talk about what mercy is, is, is not. When we see the Old Testament uh, word for mercy, it's, it's the word hesed. And hesed in the scripture is a character trait of God, which is commanded to God's people. It says in Proverbs, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so, so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So mercy is is a character quality that's a communicable attribute. It comes from our Father in heaven as he enables us to have mercy. Mercy isn't just have compassion. I wear under my little uh, ID at the hospital, compassion heals. Well, compassion without mercy may not help, may not heal, but when we think of said. In the Old Testament, as mercy is projected as a characteristic of God's kindness, uh, mercy is something that works, it helps, it does something significant in an individual's life. So what is mercy probably not? Well, it's not just having a profession where you can maybe exercise mercy. Well, I'm a nurse, I'm a social worker, I'm a pastor. It's just not a profession per se, uh, as um, one has said, it's not just a perfunctory, mechanical kind of a thing. You've heard of Nurse Ratchet, no bad uh, press her on her, but uh, not every nurse is going to be merciful. Uh, being, being close to Howard and working with him at, at the hospital for a number of years, he tells the story of about uh, about a woman who came into the emergency room, not necessarily at our hospital, perhaps, but at another hospital, who took a serious fall. And when she got to the emergency room, uh, one eye was looked pretty normal, but the other eye was sort of cocked up, looking up into her, to her forehead. And when 
everyone was sort of trying to help her with compassion and care, as teammates do, everyone was kind of going nuts. What is she going through? Uh, do we take her blood pressure now? Do we check her heart? Is she going through a stroke? And as everybody was rushing here and there, Howard sort of tells the story this way. I just said to everybody, stop! Kind of like what I did when I came down the stairs and, and tried to stop some crazy action uh, in the Moody dorm. And everybody stopped and kind of backed up, and uh, Howard asked the doctor to come into the room with the lady, and uh, the doctor walks in calmly, and, and Howard is there with a calm presence. And as they're together uh, working with the lady, they realize that the eye that is sort of cocked up and looking straight into her forehead is a glass eye. And when she fell, her eye went cockeyed. And everybody thought it's something else going on. And everybody's trying to be merciful or kind or compassionate, but they haven't really figured out what's going on. So there was a panic that had set in, and mercy really wasn't happening for a while until someone could come in and assess the situation. There was a little wisdom that tempered mercy, but mercy doesn't always happen because you have a label like doctor, nurse, social worker, preacher, pastor. The second thing I want to say about mercy and what it isn't, mercy simply isn't a matter of my convenience. Well, I have the time and I think I stop and I'll do this for somebody. Or I have the resources in my pocket. I have a, a little resource here, it's a coin. It's a silver dollar and I, I brought it along to uh, emphasize when I thought I was giving mercy, but probably wasn't giving as much kindness as I thought. I'm 14 years old. Usually I always had a silver dollar. My grandparents um, would give me a silver dollar usually on my birthday, and I had a few of them, and I liked to carry one. And I was in downtown Key West, and uh, we lived there. My, my dad flew out of Boca Chica as, as a Navy pilot, so I was a freshman in high school, and it was summer, and uh, as I'm downtown with some of my buddies, this man walks up to me, and he has this terrible red bloodshot eye, and, and uh, it's sort of a black eye, and he's uh, unshaven. He sort of smells as he gets closer to me, and I wasn't sure what alcohol smelled like. I do now, but he just reeked of alcohol, and he asked me if he could be given some money. And my heart went out to him. I just thought, this poor guy, he's pretty bad off. So I took out my one and only silver dollar, and I said, here, uh, take this. And now perhaps my heart was better than my head. But you know what he did with that money, right? He went, perhaps uh, most likely, to get his next drink of alcohol. So mercy is, is not always uh, just helping with resources because you may not be helping with wisdom or in the best way for some people. It's not necessarily a matter of, well, this is within my comfort zone. I, I could probably do this and should do this. But just because I'm comfortable doing it uh, or encouraging people with it, may not really be the kind of mercy God's looking for. And, and then the other question can come up sometimes, is this safe? Uh, what will happen? What are the consequences if I show my kindness? Uh, 
if I give a phone number, if I give a handout, maybe this really won't work out. Uh, maybe I could bring some harm on myself. So mercy is not just a matter of my convenience. I wrote down 2 Corinthians 1.3 that God is called the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So coming with his mercy, God brings real comfort, true comfort to people. And we kind of have to understand that as we bring mercy into people's lives, are we doing the right thing to bless them and meet needs that they really need met? Another thing I, I wrote down, mercy is not something we keep doing all by ourselves. Now, in this church, we have mercy ministries. We have car care. I've, I've never seen just one person helping out with car care. Normally, it's a team. We have, in his image, we're working with disabled uh, youth and adults. And that's a team ministry. We have the Crisis Pregnancy Center. We have the Homeless Shelter. We do ministry uh, with, with folks that need to work on their finances through Crown Ministry. And so when we do mercy, we're not simply doing it alone, but we're doing it together. Even the Father works with the Son and with the Holy Spirit to, to bring our salvation about. Uh, we do something every other week with a group of people in this church called Life Group. And we do mercy together in life groups. Uh, we think about needs, not just our own in that circle that's sitting around opening a Bible or watching a video, but we're, we're praying and thinking about other people's needs and how mercy can play into their lives. By the way, if you're not involved in a life group, let me pitch this just real quickly. You can walk by each other very quickly in, in a congregation this size and really miss each other. But it's hard to miss each other when you're in a life group. And it's a good place to encourage one another with mercy. Does that make sense? Did I hear a small amen or a large amen? Yeah, do life group uh, if you're going to do mercy. Now, let's get into some of the, the, the positive characteristics of mercy. Number one, and I think it's pretty obvious from how we've looked at the ministry of Christ, after Jesus is baptized, when he goes through his period of temptation, he gets out among people who really need mercy, and particularly in areas where their life has to change because things aren't getting better for people who are, are sick, people who are in constant pain, people who are possessed by demons, people who are paralyzed. So he goes to where the need is immediately, and he goes with mercy's action. He reaches out in love to people who definitely need to see that he is a loving Lord. Jonah, interestingly, makes this comment after he saw the Lord working in Nineveh. Jonah, you know, had a little bit difficulty. He had some difficulty with being called in Nineveh. He didn't want those Assyrians uh, really changed a whole lot. He thought they deserved whatever they'd get from God, particularly his wrath, not his mercy. But when Jonah saw the mercy of the Lord and how there was a great, great repentant people 
that the Lord moved upon and in in Nineveh. Jonah says this, You are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy. That's the word has said that we've mentioned earlier. Jonah admits that, God, you're a God of mercy. He saw the Lord reaching out in love. You've got to do that if you're going to be merciful. Years ago, uh, a Presbyterian minister that, that many of you uh, may not know, and some of you do know, uh, his name was Machen. And Machen started the denom- denomination that I was in for, for 30 years. Lad, you said OPC. That's the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, not the Orthodox Pharisees, okay, or the only pure church. Uh, we considered ourselves Orthodox in the sense that we weren't better than anyone else, but we were going to be reformed by the Word of God and cut it straight. If the Bible said it, we were going to be preaching it, living it, doing it, and so on. But Machen, when he <clears throat> helped begin the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, was also a man who exercised great mercy in his life. And there's a story of a fellow in his church named Richard Hodges. And let me read to you briefly uh, from a letter that Machen wrote to his mother about this man. He said to his mother in this letter, A good many people might think Hodges not worthy working for. There is deceitfulness in him as well as his recurrent weakness. But in the providence of God, I have been given absolute responsibility, so far as anyone has, for the welfare of a human soul, and I cannot put the matter out of my mind. Meanwhile, my academic work has absolutely gone by the board in trying to love another person and help another person. uh, Some things had to sort of be put on the back burner. Hodges had met Machen because he had become a member of First Presbyterian Church in Princeton, the same church where the Princeton professor worshipped. Hodges was an older man, and he would regale them with tales of his adolescence during the Civil War and of the evacuation of Richmond at the end, of which he had been an eyewitness as a teenager. Hodges, alas, was a drunk and suffered numerous relapses, He once sold two suits that Machen had given him only to buy alcohol. But he did not stagger alone. He had a shoulder to lead on for the last 20 years of his life, constant help and caring affection that never ceased, even when provoked again and again and again. Mercy reaches out in love. Another characteristic of mercy that I think we need to think about today is that mercy is something that is voluntary. You have to choose. Are you going to help someone or are you not going to help someone? Uh, At what point do you make up in your mind uh, whether you're going to do mercy or not? You might be reasoning, well, they're losers, and uh, they're not choosers. They don't want my help. Um, You might think they're perhaps freeloading on you. Uh, 
maybe they're leeching a little bit too much out of your life, but that's kind of your decision to make. And it gets tricky, doesn't it, when you try to work through all of this in your own mind. But it is voluntary. Four chaplains were on a Navy vessel during World War II, and, and the ship had been, I believe, torpedoed. And there was, as far as I remember the story, there was a, a Protestant chaplain on board. There was a, a Jewish chaplain, a Catholic chaplain, and, and uh, I think a Seventh-day Adventist chaplain. But there were four chaplains sizable ship. And as the ship was going down, there were not a whole lot of, I guess you'd say, uh, uh, ways, ways to help people unless you gave away your own floating device. And these four chaplains took off their life jackets and they gave them away to the sailors that were without and the four chaplains went down with the ship. But somewhere along the line, the four chaplains got together. They had perhaps an ecumenical council, and they decided these folks need this more than I do, and they went down um, showing the mercy of the Bible. John 3.16 tells us that God voluntarily so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive that kind of mercy. But then going on to 1 John 3.16 and sometimes I like to tie these two together because if you have mercy this is what happens in your life as you move out from the mercy that God has given you. And this is such a precious verse. By this we know love, that is the love of God, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay our lives down for the brethren. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. So mercy is voluntary. It should be tempered with wisdom, wisdom from above, but you've got to make up your mind. Am I going to do this or am I not going to do it? Uh, several months ago, we were on the way to church and we were taking the shortcut. I think it's Hayes Road across the railroad tracks. And I hit something on the way here that sounded like it was wrapped around one of my tires. And uh, suddenly my tires flat and... Uh, I pulled off to the side of the road, and I'm trying to figure out how to get this jack out of the back of the car. And it was in the, in the car, but I've got to hurry up and get to church, and all of this is stirring. And Wendy and Matt are with me. It was a hot day, and just as I was getting a little bit unmerciful with myself, uh, here comes Priscilla Cawthorn and her son, uh, David and, help me, Caleb, Caleb was the son, the Eagle Scout. And they stop, and Caleb just jumps right into the back of my trunk. He pulls out the jack, and, oh, I can do this, Mr. Cole. And, and, and all of a sudden, I have a donut wheel there, and, and off to church I come. Now, they chose to stop. But how many times have, have I or have you, we're going down the highway, and someone's got a flat tire, or... 
they look like they need help, and we just kind of head on by. And that brings me to a story that some of you may have heard. It's called the Good Samaritan. Anybody ever hear that story? Well, you all know it, but I do want to, in conclusion, make a few uh, observations from the Good Samaritan. Let's take our Bibles and just turn to that passage in Luke, and that's in Luke chapter 10. And we'll pick it up at verse 25, Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That is Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And here's the key of the, the whole point as Jesus tells this story. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Important part of mercy here. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Here's the key question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go. And do thou likewise. Well, without a whole lot of comment on the parable itself, if I just stop right here, and you might say, hmm, this is a pretty good point, Dave, for a conclusion. Uh, This is really a conclusion. The Levite knew the law, but he was too hurried. The priest was the 911 call in the New Testament and the Old Testament. You need to help, you call your priest, and they'd be right there. But he hurried on. I think in our culture, friends, the thing that probably is something that we're all challenged by more than anything else is our hurried life. We're so hurried so that we can't come into the presence as we should into the lives of others who need the mercy of Jesus Christ. You've got to slow down to have mercy. You have to come into the presence of one another. 
to show mercy. I mean, we move through the hallways pretty quickly here, and Lord willing, we'll be out of this auditorium one of these days when we're maybe be packed in a little bit differently, but still, we're still going to have the challenge of our hurriedness, our hurried lives. And if Jesus says anything in this parable, it's not just about cultural shifts that we need to go through in terms of who we have mercy to, but it's how we need to stop and have mercy. Blind Bartimaeus hears Jesus is coming to town one day, and blind Bartimaeus is screaming at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he continues to cry out, and his friends are like, whoa, whoa, don't get so excited about Jesus. And blind Bartimaeus wants something. He wants mercy. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus stopped when he heard Bartimaeus. He, he, he put on the brakes. He came over to Bartimaeus. Well, what do you want, Bartimaeus? Said he, like, I want my sight restored. And Jesus healed him and came to him as he cried for mercy. And if Jesus does that for Bartimaeus, and he's done that for us as we've cried in faith upon him, when people cry to you for the mercy of God, Please don't have deaf ears, but may your heart be open for them. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that we have a Bible that tells us that your goodness and your mercy will follow us every day of our life. And then we will dwell in the house of our Father forever. And Lord, if your mercy follows us every day of our life, help us to be good stewards of this mercy that you've helped us to share and have for others by your word and spirit. Help us to follow those who need the care of your love with goodness and mercy. We know, Lord, that in and of ourselves, we are not enough to do this, but we can do all things through Christ, who strengthens us today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, David. Uh, please stand with us if you're able. You know, if you're like me, uh, thinking about giving mercy to other people on my own accord, I'm still